Um, awesome. Uh, great to see you all. Um, for those who are new uh, here, my name is David. I'm uh, part of the team that leads this community, and it's a pleasure to see you. Um, you're really welcome if you're new. Um, I thought I would um, just take a few minutes to introduce our speaker today, who's a guest of ours. So as you know, as a community, um, we're, um, we've been in friendship with a network here in Ireland called the Tabar Network, which comes from comes out of Emmanuel Church in Lurgan. You might know that more because you know Alan Emerson. You know Alan? Um, well, small fact, uh, Tabar is actually part of the 24-7 prayer network. So Tabar, that network in Ireland of churches um, that are building friendship, actually sort of belongs and has overs the oversight of it is um, through 24-7 prayer. 24-7 prayer, as you know, is led by a man called Pete Gregg. So who's read the book Dirty Glory? A few of us in the room probably have. Um, last year we read that book. Um, and so today our guest, Jill, it's a real honor to have her with us. Um, Jill actually works on staff at Pete Gregg's church, um, Emmaus Road um, in Guildford. Is that right? Yeah. And Jill is also working for the 24-7 prayer movement. Um, so can we put our hands together for Jill and welcome her to the front? It's great to be here. Have her with us. I don't know if you want this stool, you can use it no. if you want or whatever, but a couple of years ago, we, not a couple of years ago, year but ago. a year ago, yeah, yeah. we had a coffee, we met for the first time. It was very good coffee. It was established, it was yeah. pretty good, and <laughs> it was through our mutual friend, Alan, I think, mm. he emailed me and said, you should meet Jill. Jill's um, a little bit like a, an urban monk S. I think he used or something random like that. I was like, that I'm was not sure that monk S is a word. It's probably but... not a word. We've made up a word. We've made up a word. It's all right, it's good. Um, uh, but the truth is, actually, we, we had that coffee, and I got to, to, to hear a little bit of your story, and the truth is, you're actually not from here, is that right? You're from... Canada. Canada. Yeah. Um, and you led, a, I think what is described as an urban monastery in a city just outside, or part of, like a suburb? Outside of Toronto. Outside of Toronto. Yeah. Um, for about 17, 18 years, is that mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And you've just now moved to England to work with Pete and MS Road in 24-7. Yeah. Could you tell us a little bit about your time in Canada and what you've been yeah, doing. Yeah, sure. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I, we led this little community in Hamilton. Hamilton is an industrial kind of blue-collar town outside of Toronto. And there were a number of us who, who I think embarked on what I call the great experiment. So the great experiment, this exploration of monastic spirituality. So what would it look like if maybe some of us lived together in houses and just sort of explored what a Christ-centered home beyond sort of the, the natural bonds of family. What could that look like? And what could it look like if we set up a prayer room in the basement of a social enterprise cafe in the red light district of our town and hosted the whole church in the city to pray in that space? What could it look like? What could it look like if a bunch of us moved into the poorest neighborhood in our city to explore what a, a lifestyle of being uh, the loving presence of a people of prayer in that community. What could that look like? And what could it look like when we sort of identified young justice activists in our city and come alongside them and training them in prayer and, and um, intentional community, radical hospitality, uh, urban mission? What could that look like? What could happen? And so we had 17 years of experiments. They're still experimenting. I got sort of plucked out of there and relocated into the UK, um, but they're, they're still trying new things and exploring to see what, what does it look like to take these treasures 
you know, that, that, that have been a, a treasure of the church for millennia, sort of drag it into our culture today and say, what, what, what could happen if we explored and experimented with these things? There you go. Amazing. One of the things I really love about the 24-7 prayer movement um, is that it's got, it draws from these different prayer streams, yeah. including the contemplative stream, the monastic stream, which is the rich heritage here in, in Ireland of Celtic spirituality, and, and I love that. And so you're, I think, if I'm right in saying, you've got a new role within 24-7? Yeah, well... Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Or? Sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, sort of embedded within 24-7, but also beyond its borders, is a, what they call a, a lay ecumenical religious order or missional order. And so by lay, it means anybody can join. You don't have to be clergy. You're not a monk sort of cloistered away in a monastery, it's for everybody. Ecumenical being that if we can agree on Jesus, you know, birth, death, <laughs> resurrection, all the basics of the Nicene Creed, if we can stand in agreement on that, then we can all play in the backyard together. And, um, and by order, it means that we've actually chosen some shared commitments and a shared way of life, a shared lifestyle um, built around certain spiritual practices that, that we, we live into sort of as a primary way. We want to live with focused intention to be true to Christ and to be kind to people and, and really to see the gospel go forth wherever we're situated and, and beyond. And so, so there's um, about 125 of us in the order um, on every continent except Antarctica and South America. And, um, and at the Belfast gathering, the 24-7 gathering, we've got another 70 or so taking vows in the order uh, next Sunday at the gathering. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so this week, the 24-7 prayer movement has its global gathering, yeah. and it happens sometimes happens <coughs> in Vienna, I think, the last one. It was Vienna last um, time. It just so happens that it's now being located in Belfast this year. So it's just so happens. Just so happens. And uh, you'll be part of it. You'll be there, and, yeah. and a whole bunch of others, Pete Craig and a whole bunch of things. There's over a thousand people have signed up to that conference. Um, I'll be going along to it. I'm looking forward to it. Um, we're building friendships with different communities. Um, you remember Jason was with us a few weeks ago, and he's from South Bend and Indiana, and, and, and Jill and the 24-7 movement is another one, um, building relationships with them and through Alan. Um, and so we love having friends in these different streams and coming with different experiences. And so um, it, we're delighted to have you with us today and learn yeah. about all you've been doing and um, to hear a little bit of what you've been doing in the last 20 years. Um, in, in that inner city area and prayer room and all that is, is really inspiring to us. Um, last thing, I'm going to let you preach. It's okay. Um, you, have a, you have a book out, isn't that right? Yes, and actually, so, you guys are the sneak peek. It doesn't launch until tomorrow, but I smuggled okay. a suitcase of them in today. <laughs> um, so if you want to know more of the story of, of sort of how a sort of, we've just been on a journey of God building us into internally and externally a house of prayer that's part of the story there so if you if you're interested in jill's story or any more of that you, you can pick up a book today mm -hmm. right at the back and um, just pick one up and um yeah you can learn more all about the urban monk guest that is jill Weber. <laughs> let me pray for you <laughs> let me lay hands on you um can you join with me guys and just uh, stretch out your hands let's pray a blessing over jill mm. and thank god for her presence with us father i thank you for your kingdom I uh, thank you in your kingdom. We have brothers and sisters in Christ. I thank you for the bond and the connection that we have um, with others that are journeying 
to live the way of Jesus faithfully in this world. And I thank you for this new friend of Redeemer and Jill Weber and, and the movement of 24-7. And uh, it's a new movement to us. But Lord, I pray that um, you would deepen those friendships in the months and years to come. Thank you for Jill and her presence with us. I pray a blessing over her, her family and Kirk and their daughter and their home church Emmaus Road this morning. And I, I just thank you for her presence with us. I pray you'd give us, as I was praying earlier, Lord, you'd give us spiritual ears and uh, spiritual eyes to hear and to listen what you might be speaking to us today about as we seek to faithfully follow the way of Jesus. We ask that in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thanks, Dave. Yeah, I'm not sure. Monk S. Actually, monk is, is a, is a um, originally it was a gender neutral term. I think they kind of split off into girl and guy groups later on. But uh, um, I prefer the word pilgrim, actually. So I think we're all pilgrims. We're all on a journey somewhere. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk for just a little bit today out of one of my favorite psalms. But first of all, I'm just going to tell you a little story out of my own life. I... Um, uh, it was kind of fun for me to, to move to England. I moved to England just over a year ago, and, and one of the things that I loved about England is it was the birth of the, the girls' club that I was part of growing up. I was a girl guide. Do we have that in Ireland as well? So I was in guiding. I was the brownie, you know, and I did the brownie thing and, you know, did the circle. And I think my mom was brown owl or something. Anyway, so I, I grew all the way up through girl guiding in my teen years. And actually, it got really good when we were our teenage years because we did lots of camping. And in, in Canada, that meant winter camping. And so we actually thought the Boy Scouts were really wimpy because they would sleep inside in the winter. But we would hollow out um, snow drifts and sleep in the snow in the winter. The girl guides were pretty hardcore. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I sort of rose through the ranks of brownie and then guide and pathfinder, ranger, all of that. But I had, I had a goal. I had an aspiration. My heart was set on something. Because once you got to be a ranger, then you got to travel. There were these international trips where you could go and, and visit um, countries far away and, and visit other girl guides in other places. I, was, I, I worked towards it for years. I was a pretty high achieving kind of girl guide. I, had, I would look to see sort of how many badges you had and then I'd get five more. You know, that was just kind of how I was wired. So I was, I was motivated. I wanted to become a ranger. I, that was my aspiration to be able to travel all over in the name of girl guiding. And, uh, had my, start, my, my heart set on it. I filled out the application form. You had to write an essay of why you were worthy of this role. So I wrote my essay, sent it all in, prayed my best prayers. Oh God, would you send me? And I got first runner up. So I didn't get in. And first runner up, I mean, that's worse than not getting in at all. You're kind of like, do I pray for somebody to break an arm or not? You know, you just... <laughs> I was so disappointed. I was, I, I was gutted, actually. And, th and that was the end of my guiding career. I had my heart set on this was my aspiration. And it just sort of turned to dust in my mouth and my heart after that. And I, I left. I, I, hung, I took off my scarf and I walked out. And that was the end of a lifetime of girl guiding. My heart was set on it. And I guess my question to you today is, what's your heart set on? Why don't you think for a moment? Just maybe close your eyes and, and look inside of yourself just for a moment. So what, what's my heart set on? 
What's the focus of my attention? What's the object of my affection? What's my heart set on? Maybe it's the cute guy on the table in the corner on a Sunday that you've been checking out during the worship. (laughs) Probably that never happens here, I know, but just in case. Maybe it's getting into, is it Trinity College in Dublin? Maybe it's getting into some prestigious school. Maybe it's getting on the worship team. Maybe your heart is set on... um, Maybe your heart's set on on losing 10 pounds. Often my heart's set on that. (laughs) Like every middle-aged woman, I'd love to lose another 10 pounds. Our hearts, we get our hearts set on things. Anybody ever had your heart set on something? Something is the focus of my attention and the object of my affection. And we're going to talk about Psalm 84, where the psalmist says, Blessed is the one whose heart is set on pilgrimage. Blessed is the one whose heart is set on pilgrimage. One translation says, whose hearts are the highway to Zion. Is set on pilgrimage. The pilgrimage for the psalmist and for observant Jews, when they're talking about pilgrimage, they're actually talking about Jerusalem. And so what they would do as an observant Jew is is there would be set times when they would leave their town, they would leave their village, and they would go up to Jerusalem, they would go up to the place where God dwells. They would go to be with God, and they had these psalms of ascent, these songs that they would sing as they would go up. And Jerusalem is up, it's up a a bunch of hills, mountain range, and um, it was a place where they could come and they could bring their sacrifice. They could experience cleansing from their sin and, and they could experience God's presence. They would bring with them their burdens and leave them there and they would take something from God with them back into their lives. Their hearts were set on pilgrimage. God was the focus of their attention and the object of their affection. I got to go to Jerusalem Actually, it was there just recently, but, but I'm thinking the first time that I was in Jerusalem was about eight or nine years ago, and I was exploring the Holy Land. I was on one of those tours um, where you kind of get you on a bus, and they take you to you know, the Sea of Galilee, and you get off the bus, and you do a thing, and then you get on the bus again, and you go to another place, but I was exploring the Holy Land. I was exploring all over Israel, but I was looking for Jesus. So my heart was set on pilgrimage. There was something about being in those places. You could show the next slide there. But, uh, you know, so I went to the Sea of Galilee. And I, and I, I was, um, you know, you walk down by the water and you think, wow, he could have walked here. You know, he could have he eaten a fish, like right, right here in this spot. It was really exciting. And I went up to the, the mountain of the Beatitudes, and I was standing up on the mountain and looking. You could, you could look down the mountain over the water, over the Sea of Galilee. I thought, oh, he might have been sitting right here. So I was exploring the Holy Land, but I was looking for Jesus. And I think the most... Um, the moment that it kind of got me the most, I was in Jerusalem, 
And, and what, I, what I didn't know is that sort of over 1,000 years or 2,000 years, land goes up, so things get dirty and there's rocks and buildings and buildings fall down. And so, so what ground level is right now in Jerusalem is probably about 20 feet in some places higher than it was 2,000 years ago. And so I did a tour around um, the, the, the part of Solomon's temple that was, was still standing, and, and there was this underground tunnel that they said was actually street level in Jesus' day. And so you're walking, you come into this place, and you, you go by, by this huge crowd of, of Jewish people praying by the Wailing Wall, and you go down through this tunnel, and you think, ah, oh, this is where he walked. And I was with a group, and I, I, I really wanted them just all to go away. Because what I really wanted to do is I wanted a little bit of privacy there in the, the tunnel. This may sound, I don't know, maybe this is like a girly, silly thing. I just, I, just wanted to put, I just wanted to put my cheek on the ground. I just wanted to touch where he might have walked. Maybe I'm just really sentimental, but I just felt really moved. Um, so I was exploring the Holy Land, but I was looking for Jesus. So blessed is the one whose heart is set on pilgrimage. So we're all on a journey. Anybody here in the room besides me on a journey? You guys on a journey into parenthood? Saw lots of babies. Into marriage? We're on a journey into building our career path. We're all on the way somewhere. We've all got some vision of the good life. There's a destination or a destiny or whatever you want to call it, and we're all making a beeline slowly or quickly towards it. We're all on pilgrimage somewhere. So my question for you is, while you're on pilgrimage, while you're going through university, or while you're you know, getting your business set up, while you're embarking on marriage, while you're building a church, are you a pilgrim or are you a tourist? Love that, yeah. <laughs> am I a pilgrim or am I a tourist? The thing is, you actually can't tell from the outside. I mean, obviously, of these ones, you can tell from the outside. Um, so maybe when you're on pilgrimage or maybe when you're a tourist, you maybe eat the same food, right? When I was in Israel, I ate lots of falafels. Love falafels. And so there's all different kinds of falafels you could eat there. And so a tourist and a pilgrim might eat the same food. We might visit the same locations. And there's actually not, nothing really wrong about being a tourist. Anybody like to go on vacation? Leave, you call it leave. Anybody like to go on leave? Nice food, good wine, beautiful places. Nothing wrong with that. So I'm not saying that because God, he's actually given us all things richly to enjoy. And so there's this, there's, there's, there's this beautiful thing about stepping apart from your life into somewhere new that gives scope for the imagination and you get rested. So I'm not dissing that at all. But what I'm saying is our heart posture as we go through whatever journey we're on can be about looking for Jesus on the journey or it can just be consuming whatever is in front of me. Just getting the most I can out of the journey for myself. So the difference between being a tourist and being a pilgrim is answered by the question, who's the focus of my attention? 
and who's the object of my affection. And it makes a difference because sometimes the journey is, is perilous. Anybody ever been on a perilous journey? Nobody ever been on a, no? Perilous, I, okay, there you go, we got one. I went on a perilous journey to Iona. You guys know where Iona is? I know it's, you know, Scotland, it's not really, you know, part of the UK, but, um, so I went to Iona, so it was a pilgrimage, and, and I was, I was uh, blissfully unaware. I didn't realize that when you looked at a map, I was in Northumbria, and I, I looked at a map, and I saw Northumbria on the map, and then I saw Iona on the map, and I thought, well, that looks like a pretty straight shot. It should take me, <laughs> I know, it should just take me just, I don't know, a few hours to do. And so we had, to get to Iona, you have to drive to the west coast, and then you have to get on a ferry to the island of Mull, and then you have to drive across the island of Mull to catch another ferry to the island of Iona. So, problem number one, uh, I didn't realize that streets in Scotland don't go like this. What do streets in Scotland do? Same as in Northern Ireland, right? It's just like this. I mean, <laughs> so that's, that's what the roads do. So problem number one, I had no idea that it was not a straight shot to Iona. Problem number two, it was my first week driving in the UK. And the problem with your country is that you drive on the wrong side of the car and on the wrong side of the road. <laughs> and your roads are so narrow. I can't believe it. I just like, I have to suck in my stomach when I drive because I just think I'm not going to fit. And so, so I'm a newbie driver in the UK. And uh, we, had a, we had a group of us. We were on pilgrimage to Iona. There were six of us in the van. So first of all, it's a problem because that's the van. Problem number three, big car, small, windy roads. Problem number four, a woman on our team uh, got easily carsick. This was a big problem. So what we were doing is we were, we were, we were getting as fast as we could to, to Mull because you actually, we had to book our ferry time. There was a slot that we had on a ferry and if we missed it, we missed it. And so I'm driving as fast as I can on these super windy roads and realizing that we are in trouble and, and we're just, we're not sure that we're gonna make it. And my dear friend in the back starts feeling sick and sicker and sicker, and you know what, God bless her, she, is, she is, will forever be my hero because much as she would have loved to have pulled over by the side of the road and just dropped the load that she, I mean, she just, she was so sick. Anyway, she was, all, what we did was we just kept handing her shopping bags and she would throw up in the shopping bag and then we'd hand her another one and it was just, it was terrible, it was so bad. And um, so we, we zoomed into the, the ferry station at Mall. And uh, we're like, oh, phew, we made it. And then the ferry was late. Problem number five. Because what we hadn't realized in our bad planning is that we had booked the last ferry on the other side of Mull to get to Iona. So the one hour that we had to drive across Mull, because the ferry was late, we only had 40 minutes. And so we get off the ferry and I start tearing down the roads in Mull and encounter problem number six for the first time in my life. Single track roads. Single track roads. I've realized now, I'm much more confident, but, but driving in the UK is just a big game of chicken. Really. <laughs> I mean, that's what it is, isn't it? And so, 
So, I mean, just picture this. We're, we're driving, we're going like 100 kilometers on these super windy single track roads. Literally, my friends are leaning out the windows in the side, so hopefully we're not going to encounter a car coming around a bend in the road and have a, a head-on collision. My friend is still vomiting in the back of the car. It was terrible. And then we realized that the sun was going down. And so, so I'm literally driving one-handed, trying to shield my eyes from the sun. It was the most horrendous, I, I hope never, ever to repeat it. Every other time I've gone to Iona now, I just take the bus. But it was just, like, it was just horrific. And, and we got there, and we were five minutes late to the last ferry to Iona. And we literally, we parked the car, we had our suitcases, and we're just running down the road, like in a slow motion action movie, like, no, you know, just like, stop, stop the ferry. And we, we made it. We just made it. And uh, uh, it was, it was a perilous journey. And, um, but all of our journeys have moments of peril, don't they? Anybody? Perilous moments in your journey? Unexpected things happen. The road twists and turns when you don't expect it. Your traveling companions get sick on you. <laughs> Stuff happens on a journey. But here's what the psalmist tells us. And we'll go to the next slide. Psalm 84, blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools and they go from strength to strength until they appear before God in Zion. The Valley of Baca. It's mentioned in the scriptures only once. Um, the, they, they think it was an actual location, it was an actual valley on the way up to Jerusalem. But that word Baca is rendered weeping in most translations. And the psalmist uses the valley of Baca symbolically to, to illustrate a difficult or a sorrowful path in life. And so as people travel to Jerusalem, as they go towards the place where they're going to meet with God, often they go into the low places, the valleys, the places of suffering. But they go through, and they know that the journey is going to be worth it in the end. I had a, a friend visit recently from Canada, and she, we just spent an afternoon hanging out. It's a great Sunday afternoon thing. I got two couches in my house, so I just laid on one, and she just laid on one. Good stuff. Sunday afternoon, almost nap time. But we just talked, and we, we got all caught up in what was happening in life back in Canada. And actually, we, we did a bunch of crying while we talked. Because this last year, a mutual friend of ours, young 38-year-old woman, was feeling unwell one day. She'd been part of our house of prayer right from the beginning and um, didn't feel good. Went to the doctor. Doctor did some tests. Cancer all through her body, 38 years old. And within four months, she was gone. And we sat and we cried together about losing Rebecca. We talked about friends of ours whose marriages had fallen apart in the last year. There's a few of them. We talked about friends who just couldn't find a place of safety or home in the church and who were just kind of wandering out there looking for God, joining the, the swelling ranks of the spiritual but not religious. We just talked about the hard stuff in our lives. And we're like, oh, 
Jesus. <laughs> and that was, that was, it was, we realized that our, our youthful, naive, and idealistic enthusiasm, you know, that, that enthusiasm that says, okay, God is in his heaven, and so everything's going to be just peachy key. All right, we had that when we were younger. That's what we thought. And as we got older, <laughs> a little wiser, we realized that the valley goes through the low places. And Jesus says, I mean, he says it to us, doesn't he? He says, in this world, you will have trouble, but we will overcome. He doesn't say we're not going to have trouble. He says we're going to have trouble. There is a valley of weeping, of weeping, a valley of, of Baca. But if our heart is set on pilgrimage, if, in the, if as I'm going through the valley, if my heart is set on pilgrimage, as I'm going through the valley, if I'm actually looking for the presence of Jesus in the midst of illness, in the midst of broken marriages, in the midst of businesses failing, if I'm actually looking for him in the valley, the psalmist says that my strength is in the Lord. The psalmist says that I actually will go from strength to strength through that which should, by all rights, decimate me and rob me of all of my strength. As I walk through trouble, as I walk through weeping, if my heart is set on pilgrimage, if Jesus himself is the focus of my attention, if Jesus himself is the object of my affection, if Jesus himself is my ultimate destination, then I can go through the valley. I can go through the struggle. I think this is really an interesting part of this passage. Um, well, maybe the next slide, I'll show you a picture of one of the places I went in Jerusalem. This is called En Gedi. It was right in the middle of desert, so it's like brown, there's rock, and you know, just more rock and sand and caves in the rock, and then all of a sudden, there's this like swath of green that comes down in the middle of it. And, and it's green because there's a stream and there's, you can climb up it and you go layer upon layer upon layer up, these, these, uh, up this mountainside and there's these beautiful streams coming down and, and uh, it's just this most amazing oasis place. And the psalmist says if we pass through the valley, I think it's really intriguing, he says that we will make it a place of streams. And I'm like, wait a second. You know, I, I don't get that. I think the translators should say, well, God will make it a place of streams, right? Well, that's not. That's not what the psalmist is saying. The psalmist is saying that we make it a place of streams. And as I wondered and, and pondered that and thought it through, I remembered what Jesus said that, that from out of our belly, from out of our innermost being, streams of living water would come. So that means that in the midst of hardship and difficulty, whether it's yours or your family or your neighborhood or your community, you are a stream maker. So when you turn to the person beside you and say, you're a stream maker, 
you can do it. Talk to each other. You can talk to each other in church. It's okay. Turn to the person beside you and say, you are a stream maker. I'm like, oh no, it's just making me talk to people. <laughs> out of our inmost being, right here, right here, out of the inside of us. In Jesus, we live and we move and have our being. His spirit is in us and his spirit can flow out of us into the lives of our families, but into the lives of this neighborhood. I think this is my heart for you, Redeemer Central. You know, this, this word can speak to us as individuals, but I think it's a word for you as a community. You have a lot of people in this neighborhood who are going through their Valley of Baca, don't you? Right? You've got immigrants, you've got new arrivals. I see some multicolored flags across the street. You've got lots of folks on lots of journeys who need stream makers. And the way to do it is to set your own heart on pilgrimage as individuals and as a community. And saying, you know what, I'm actually not going to set my heart on being the biggest, best, strongest, most coolest urban monastery in the city. I'm gonna set my heart on this person, Jesus. I'm gonna pursue him. We, as a community, we are gonna pursue him as our ultimate destination. We're gonna choose him as the focus of our attention and as the object of our affection. We'll set our hearts on pilgrimage. And then we become a place of streams. And so this place here, in, as you are strategically situated in the city, can be that place of streams. You can be the oasis place. You can be the place where people can come and, um, and be strengthened with power on the inside by the Spirit. Because there's, there's a lot of them out there, aren't there? There's a lot of folks There's Lonely, latchkey kids, right? Parents are at work. They're at home sexting to friends on their phones. Or there's single moms who are struggling to survive. Or there's addicts in the doorways, right, outside. Addicts in the doorways outside. And there's addicts in boardrooms in Armani suits, probably down the road. There's moms that we meet in the schoolyard when we're picking up our kids, right? Whose lives and marriages are in a shambles. There's kids crumbling under the pressure to perform and all the crazy school testing you guys have here in the UK. I'm so glad I didn't go to school in the UK. This, it's so stressful. And, uh, anyway. And all the international students, the university, hey? You've got, all, you've got this college, you've got a university, you have international students coming in, culturally displaced, dislocated, and you have an opportunity to invite the lonely into families and to lead forth the captives in singing. This is your opportunity. So as Jesus did, he didn't kind of say, okay, you just go through the valley, you know, you just, you go do that. We know, right, this is the gospel. The beauty of, of the gospel is that Jesus came into the valley with us, right? He wasn't content to watch our journey from afar. He took the descending journey to partner with us, to 
be a traveling buddy in the low places. And his invitation for us is to take the descending journey as well to partner with and to be traveling companions with those of us who are going through. So my invitation to you today as we, we come to the table and take the bread and the wine, there might be some of you who are, are really feeling like I'm in the valley, you know. I look at my life and I see Baca <laughs> written all over it. I'm in the low place. And some of you may have had your heart set on things and, and, and like I, at the beginning of my story, just was really disappointed. <laughs> and some of you realize that in the midst of life and work and busyness, that we've lost our focus and that Jesus has lost his first place as the center of our affection and our devotion and the center place, the center of our attention. So I'd encourage you as you come to the table and Jill's gonna come and help me with this just in a second. Um, just offer up your heart to him again. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is the beauty of the cross and the resurrection. And we can come to him again and again and again and again and again and again. And again. We can start over every single day and choose him. And, and I speak as one, I'm not going to tell you all my horror stories, but um, you might think, oh, wow, really great. You've led a urban monastery for 18 years. It is the most difficult, the most costly, the most heartbreaking thing I have ever done. And I'd do it all over again in a minute. Because ultimately he's worth it. <laughs> right? Why should we give to Jesus that which costs us nothing? Why should we? Can we give him a costly gift? Anyway, I could go on, but I won't. So let's let's come to the table. Let's stand together. And Jill, do you want to come direct traffic here and show us what to do? Yeah, maybe David can do it. Do you mind if I just jump in on this for a second? <laughs> so like, I'm gonna lead. No, I want you to stay here. I want. To, I, I'm gonna lead. I'm gonna help lead us with the band and worship, just in a moment. But um. Uh, there is a beautiful message that you've just shared with us there. Mm. And uh, it's for, for, for many of us in this room that the simple message of coming back to Jesus yeah. and looking for the presence of Jesus. There are many weary in this room or many with questions. This has been a community of those seeking spiritual seekers, those that maybe can't find a home elsewhere mm. or have come in with difficulties and challenges, yeah. myself included. Um, and so it's a beautiful word for individuals in this room. But it's also, I believe in it, it's a really powerful message, a simple message for us as a community today. I thought it would just be really good to mark that. Because I actually didn't speak to Jill on that. Somebody forged a really important passage in the foundation, I suppose, yeah. of this church community 10 years ago. And it continues to be that. And what you've just shared is actually what God has been speaking to us about as a community over the last two years. 
um, maybe longer in fact, um, yeah. all that you've talked about in terms of the context of where we <coughs> are as a community in this street. Um, we had a prophetic word spoken over us as a leadership team at the bar gathering down with Alan and Phil and Emmanuel a year ago, which captured a lot of that. And so you're just speaking right into the very heart and call mm. of this community here. And yet, in some ways, we've been faithful with that word, and in other ways, we're still learning how to do that. We're still learning how to be the faithful presence of Jesus in this area, in this street. And so um, I want to receive <coughs> what Jill has just shared. Um, I'm speaking on behalf of our leadership team. Hopefully they're yeah. with me. Um, Can I give homework? Absolutely, go for it. Okay, so here's the homework. You ready for this? So a daily practice, super, super simple that you can do. At the end of your day, ask yourself the question, where did I see Jesus today? Where did I see the presence of Jesus today? Maybe something in the scripture, maybe a, a conversation you had with somebody. Jesus has all kinds of disguises, all kinds of ways he comes to us. But if we ask that simple question at the end of each day, what that does then is at the beginning of the next day, you get up and you're like, it's like, you guys have Where's Wally, right? Yeah, yeah, it's like playing Where's Wally, the books Where's Wally. You're, go, you're looking for him, like Where's Wally? Where's... So you, you step into your day going, okay, where's Jesus? Where is he? And you, you step into your day looking for him. That will change everything. That's amazing. I think, it's, I think that's the invitation for us as a yeah. community is, and I want to invite everyone in this room to consider this, um, myself included on our leadership team is, is the movement from being a tourist to being a pilgrim and the movement towards seeking Jesus in our everyday that this community would be genuinely a house of prayer and light and love and healing. Um, so I want to hope, hope that's an encouragement. Hopefully it's, it's also a challenge. I think it's an invitation to us. I suppose that's all I'm, I'm trying to do is just capture what you just shared. It's yeah. been wonderful. Thank you for sharing with us. Mm. Can we just uh, just thank Jill for what she shared this morning? Yes, um, I don't want to take away from the table. We're going to move into the table. I'm going to lead some worship. Um, and maybe you could pray for us as we do that. Yeah. Is, is that great? And uh, you know the score, guys. Come break bread together. Um, bring your friends. and um, Bring your table. There's tables at the back. There's gluten-free. But maybe you could pray for us as we pass the band gets ready. Yeah, yeah. Let's just pray together. Jesus, you said this most audacious thing you talked about as eating your body and drinking your blood. It just sounded so offensive to so many people. But Lord, as we pick up these symbols, the bread and the wine, and as we remember all that you've done for us, the way you step down into the lowest, the deepest valley, into hell itself to rescue us. We pick up these symbols, we drink the wine and we eat the bread and we remember and we taste and see that you're good. So this is the feast today of your goodness. And there's something to be eaten and drunk today that will bring your very life into our bodies and into our souls.
So we remember, we rejoice, we are thankful. The psalmist says, <laughs> he makes us eat. We feast on the abundance of his house. And he makes us drink from the rivers of his delight. So as we partake today, Jesus, we feast on the abundance of your house. We drink from the river of your delight. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to fill us with all of your fullness so that living stream could pour out of us into this neighborhood beyond. Amen and amen. Let's come and to the table and, and eat and drink together, shall we? Come on up.